Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We are living in difficult times. All we got to do is turn on the news and see that we are living in some troubling times. Uh, difficulties everywhere. We hear about shootings in Chicago. We hear about uh, terrorists training school shooters in, in uh, New Mexico. and We hear about trouble in Congress. We hear about trouble in the White House. We hear about trouble even on Main Street. <clears throat> we live in some troubling times, and sometimes it's hard to know how to respond. It's hard to know how does this fit with us. That's why First Peter is so relevant for us as believers, I don't know if you heard about it, the, <clears throat> the baker in Colorado who went to the Supreme Court because he did not want to make a cake for a gay wedding. And he went to the Supreme Court and he won. Seven to two decision, unheard of uh, in, that, in that particular case. And the minute that case was announced in the Supreme Court, somebody else tried to do him, go again and sue him because he would not make a cake for a person who was, I think, a male coming out as a woman. And he said that goes against us. So they brought another lawsuit against him. This has been going on for seven years with this guy. Now he's going to go through it again. And I, I, you know, I'm just one of these guys. I ask a silly question. Are there no other bakers in Colorado? You know, uh, you know what's going on? Is he the only baker in Colorado? <clears throat> Here's the point. We live in troubling times. How do we as Christians respond? What are we to do? That's why First Peter is so relevant because First Peter was written to a group of individuals who were being persecuted, who were going through some difficult times, but unlike the uh, baker in Colorado, these people were being put to death. They were being killed by Jews and being killed by Gentiles. Nobody really liked them. And so Peter writes this, this letter, and he tells them to stand firm in their faith. Uh, he does that. And, and we've been looking at First Peter under the heading, Timeless Truths in Troubling Times. We looked at verses 1 through 9 the past couple of weeks. And within those verses, you have the, the blessings that we have in Christ. What we are in Christ and the blessings we have in Christ. But interwoven throughout those first nine verses is this idea of God's amazing salvation. As a matter of fact, Peter begins verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation. So he's been talking about it. In the first nine verses, now he's going to zero in on it and really point out some truths that we need to know. You know, salvation is a wonderful word. Uh, when you stop and really analyze it and you think about this, this word salvation, anybody who has been saved from something rejoices. No matter what it is, just look at it from a, a simply physical situation. Anybody that's been rescued or saved from a burning car rejoices over being saved from the burning car. It could be somebody that was saved from a flood. And they look back on that, that salvation and say, man, that was a great experience. Maybe it's a prolonged sickness. And finally, they come out of that sickness and they've been saved from this. And man, that was a great experience to come out of that. It could be any number of experiences. But anyone that goes back and looks at that salvation experience that they, that they, were, that they experienced in their life, they rejoice about it. They say, man, I'm grateful for that situation. And so that's kind of where we're going today with the passage. We're going to look back at God's amazing salvation. 
so that it will lead us to rejoice as well. We'll look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, as we look at these words under the heading, God's amazing salvation. And hopefully as we, we look at these uh, three passages, you'll see how amazing salvation is. Listen to what Peter writes. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look in to these things. First thing we see is God's amazing salvation was predicted. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Let's stop right there. He talks about salvation as the grace that was to come to you. So from the very beginning of this idea of salvation, it's always been about grace. It's always about God bestowing grace on people. And grace is God's unmerited favor bestowed upon individuals who do not deserve it. You know that you don't deserve grace, right? You deserve justice. I mean, you deserve uh, punishment. You deserve wrath. But God decided in his salvation to bestow upon you grace, something you do not deserve and I do not deserve. But from the very beginning, the prophets preached on this salvation by grace. That's the great theme of the Bible, salvation by grace. God saved us so that we can stay out of hell and we can experience heaven. Uh, that's one of the things that he did. That's the great theme of the Bible. It's the thing that, combi- that uh, ties the Old Testament and the New Testament together, this thing called salvation by grace. And Peter says the prophets predicted this. The prophets predicted this salvation by grace that would come. So notice how the prophets predicted it. In verse 11, he says, Who spoke of the grace of God that was come to you. Uh, he goes on and he talks about it in verse 11. The spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would come. It was predicted. The prophets predicted it, as verse 11 says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Later on, Peter will write in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the prophets, the purpose of what they were doing was to predict or to to uh, point to the coming of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. That's what was happening. This is what was predicted. The Holy Spirit inspired them to predict the coming of Jesus Christ. But here's what's interesting about this whole thing. The prophets didn't understand. Uh, They didn't grasp what was happening. Look at verse 10 again. It says, Who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently, And with the greatest care, verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. They didn't understand. They didn't exactly know what was happening. 
but they, they realized that they, they were proclaiming a message that was going to reach to the eternities. They realized they were proclaiming a message that that was going to, to be acted out sometime on the stage of human history. So they began to study. They began to examine their own, their own sermons. They began to examine their own prophecies. Went back and looked at some of the things they wrote. And they began looking at it, looking intently to understand it. They would look at some of the contemporaries during that time and say, what was it that they were saying? And they begin to examine, say, what is it that's being predicted? What is it? How can we understand this that God is predicting in this situation? And they begin to see it. Verse 11 says that it was predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. God had revealed to them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a time that Jesus had to suffer followed by his glory, followed by his exaltation. And as you listen to the writings of the Old Testament prophets, if you really listen, you can hear the agony of the cross and you can hear the glory of his exaltation. It's in there. If you really read it and you begin to listen to what it says, the Old Testament prophets couldn't understand it. They couldn't figure out how the Savior could suffer and also be king. They, they couldn't understand it. They couldn't put it together. They couldn't make sense of it. Verse 12, look at what it says. After much study, okay, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. So after much study, after much inspiration, they realize that all their preaching, all their prophesying, all their predicting would be fulfilled not in their day, but that it would be revealed to a people of a future day. One day, God would send a Savior, and He would send that Savior at the right time, to the right family, to the right place, to the right people. And all the Old Testament saints looked forward to the day when that would happen. They began to understand it. Now, I'm going to step down from the pulpit just for a moment. This is not in my sermon. It's not in my manuscript, all right? But as I worked on my sermon this week, God kept drawing my attention to one phrase in this passage. Let me read it to you. It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you. And I pray and hope that the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. Wouldn't it, isn't that what we're all about? Shouldn't we as followers of Jesus not be serving ourselves, but the next generation who have not heard the gospel? That's what the Old Testament prophets said. They, they said, we're doing this not for our benefit, we're doing it for the next group that will come along. They didn't know when that would be. It could be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. They didn't know. I want you to hear me on this, my dear friends. Because I receive a lot of flack for some things I do. Some of it merited. <laughs> okay, here's a Everything I do, everything I do in this church is for the next generation. 
everything I do is to try to set the stage so that this church can reach the next generation of lost people. Guess what? I'm not talking about 10, 15, 20 years. I'm talking about tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Everything I do is to, so that this church will stay relevant in this culture at this time. We do not live in 1960. We do not live in 1970. Sometimes I wish we did. They had good music in the 70s. You know, my favorite group, the Eagles, just found out their albums a bestseller of all time. We don't live in the 80s. We don't live in the 90s. We don't live in the year 2000. We live in the year, the year, thousand, year 2018. But guess what? The gospel is the same. We just have to find a new way to communicate the timeless truth of God's Word to a different society. So I read that passage. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. That's what I want for you as a church. I want you to realize that you're not serving yourself. You're serving the next people. So everything we do should have that focus. That doesn't mean we don't love you. That doesn't mean we don't care for you. That doesn't mean we don't teach you. What do we do? We teach you all things that Christ has commanded. What's our, what's our physical statement? Exalt Christ. Equip the church to do what? To engage the community. That's what we do. Now, I'm going to step back up on the pulpit or back up on the platform because none of that was in my manuscript. That was free of charge. <clears throat> you didn't pay me for that, did you? You want me to pay you? You want to pay me so you can feel good, don't you? Oh, my dear friends, you do not know me well. They realized, the Old Testament saints, one day that God was in the Savior. And the Old Testament saints rejoiced in the day that Jesus would come. They rejoiced. Jesus said it this way in John 8, 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. God revealed that a Savior was going to come sometime. The Old Testament was there to predict the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and to get you and me ready for the coming of the Savior. Acts chapter 10 verse 43 says, all the prophets, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. The prophets predicted salvation by grace. It's going to happen. And that all those people who would believe in him will be saved. God's amazing salvation was predicted. God's amazing salvation was proclaimed. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Peter is saying, man, we're living in an unusual day. 
we, we are living in the day of grace. He talked about these New Testament believers. We are living in the day of grace. We are living in the day when the coming of Jesus Christ was fulfilled. He's saying everything the prophets proclaimed, everything the prophets predicted has come true in Christ. He said, and we are living in that day of grace right now. That's what we're doing. What did the prophets predict would happen? They predicted that Jesus would suffer and that he would be glorified. They predicted that Jesus would die and he would be glorified. Matthew chapter 13, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said it this way. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Peter is saying the people of his day were blessed by God. They were blessed by God because God was letting them see the things the prophets wanted to see, but they didn't get to see it. He said, you're getting to experience it. Jesus, Peter is saying that, that we, we preached what had been predicted by the prophets of old. And here's the thing. We are also blessed. Because we are now living in the age of grace. We are able to hear the same message that the apostles preached in the first century. Every time I stand up here, I am preaching the same message that they preached 2,000 years ago. I'm preaching the same message that the church, has, the, the true church, has been, has been preaching for over two thousand years we preach the good news of Jesus Christ that's what we preach we preach him died crucified upon a cross and risen on the third day and he's coming again in all his glory that's what we preach every time every time we preach every time we sing about the cross we are declaring his sufferings we are declaring his holiness we are declaring his glories we should never get over what Jesus suffered on the cross. We should never get over that. Think about what he experienced physically upon the cross of Calvary. Brutal, brutal execution. Think about what Jesus experienced emotionally on the cross when everybody deserted him and all that was left was one guy and a group of women. Where were all those people that, throw, that, that gathered in his services? Where were the 15,000 he fed with bread and a few loaves and, a few, and a, two fish? Where was the 12,000 that he fed? Where were all the people he healed? Where were all the people he made whole? Think about what he suffered emotionally. Think about what he suffered spiritually. Think about the weight of the sin that was placed upon him. The weight of the sins of all the world, past, present, and future, was placed upon him. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Did you hear that? The righteous for the unrighteous, to do what? To bring you to to God. When Jesus suffered like he did, 
It was for sin. He was paying the price for my sins and he was paying the price for your sins. And he did it willingly. He did it willingly. It should break our hearts when we think about what Jesus went through for our sins. When I think about all the sins that I've committed, it breaks my heart that I put Jesus through that. And when you think of all the sins that you've committed, it should break your heart as well. It was for me that he died. It was for you that he died. Not only do we proclaim the sufferings of Christ, but we proclaim the glory that follows. <laughs> you know, Jesus didn't stay dead. We proclaim the crucifixion. But you know what else we claim? We claim that he died. And on the third day, he was raised to life. And he's not there. Matter of fact, the angels, when people came to investigate, they said, he's not here. He's risen. He's risen. And he appeared for 40 days upon the earth. And he demonstrated himself to many people, five, 500 at one time. He showed himself to the disciples. He showed himself to others for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he ascended into heaven, promising, promising, someday I'll come back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to be with me. That's what we proclaim. That's what we preach. How amazing is this salvation proclaimed? How is it? Look at what he says, verse 12. This is pivotal. Look at verse 12. He says, they had been told you by those who had preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is pivotal. This is pivotal for us to understand. He says, the Holy Spirit led the prophets of old to predict. He said, the whole same Holy Spirit inspires people to preach. The same Holy Spirit enables me. And Look, and I'm floored by this because I realize I'm a simple man. I realize that. But I'm floored that the Holy Spirit could take a broken vessel, simple, contaminated individual like me, and still work through me to communicate his gospel message. He could still do it. It's the same Holy Spirit that predicted, the same Holy Spirit allows us to proclaim. And here's the thing I want you to understand. The Holy Spirit would never contradict himself. He's incapable of doing that. If he predicted it in the Old Testament and he proclaims it now, it's the exact same message. And we need to understand that. The Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to preach, enables us to proclaim. And every time you're out there sharing the good news, this is not talking about preaching the gospel. It's just proclaiming the gospel. That's why I purposely said God's amazing salvation is proclaimed and not preached. Because sometimes we say preach, oh, that's the job of the preacher. No, it's the job of every born-again believer to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, my friends. When you're out there doing it, the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to do it. And you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. Let's go on. Third truth, God's amazing grace is pondered. I want to introduce you to a strange idea. It seems out of place when you look at the passage. Look at the end of verse 12. It says, even angels long to look into these things. Did you know that verse is in there? 
did you know that there's angels? I know you've heard about it, but here it is. Peter's actually talking about it. And, and Peter says these angels, these spiritual beings, uh, they, they ponder this amazing salvation that the prophets predicted and the people proclaim. They ponder it. They, they look into it. That word look into is the key. Even angels long to look into. It's the same word used in John chapter 20. When it talks about Jesus' resurrection. And it talks about after they received the news from Mary Magdalene that John and Peter run to uh, the tomb. Uh, you know, Peter takes off and John passes him. I don't know why. Maybe John was younger. Maybe Peter was overweight. I don't know. But some reason or other, John got there first. And it says when John got there, he didn't go in. It said, but he bent down and looked into. He looked into. It's the same word used later on in that same chapter in chapter 20. Uh, it talks about Mary Magdalene when she's at the, at the tomb. It says that she, she bends over and she examines it. So it's not like, hmm, that's interesting. It's like, man, I, got, I, I can't get my arms around this. It's really, really looking into it to see what it is. It's the same word that, that Peter uses here in his word. It means, it means to stoop down and examine. You're trying to satisfy an overwhelming impulse that you just can't satisfy. You, you can't do it. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Just stop for a moment and think about what's going on. The angels are in the very presence of God right now. We want to know what that's like. Amen? The angels want to know what it's like to be saved by grace. They, they want to examine it. They said, we don't understand this. All they've done their entire existence is praise God. That's their number one purpose to praise God. But they want to know what's it like? What's it like to be a sinner and be saved by God's amazing grace? Because if we knew that, we'd worship Him all the more. That's what they're saying. We don't understand this. We don't get to experience what it's like to be lost and then to be found. But we want to know. We want to know. They want to know about the beauty of transforming a rebellious heart into an obedient heart so that they can praise God all the more. <laughs> they would love to be in our shoes. It tells me there's much more about this salvation, this amazing salvation, than we even begin to think or ponder. Angels want to look into it and they want to examine it. They want to understand it. It's the same word used in James chapter 1 verse 25. James says this. But the man who looks intently, that's the word. The man who looks intently. Man. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do, to do this. Not forgetting about what, he, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James is telling us we should have the same attitude when we come to study the Word of God. This is what we should do when we look in the perfect law that gives freedom. We look into it, we examine it, we stoop down, and we really pour our lives into it, trying to understand what it means for us. We humble ourselves before God's Word and we are to examine it. 
until it transforms our lives. Really getting in to God's Word. Oh, that's what I desire for my Sunday school classes. Yes, I called them mine. Why is that? Because the pastor is responsible for the education of the church. It falls back on me. And I'll be doubly judged if it's not done right. I care about what you teach. I care about the way you teach. I've told you this time after time after time. Teachers, I want you to teach God's Word for life transformation. It's not for informational purposes. Your Sunday school class is not a prayer and share group. It is Bible study. Stoop down and examine it for the purpose of changing lives so that they can do what? Go out and engage the community. Teach it so that when they walk out of that class, they said, now I'm going to take this and apply it to my life. Without transformation of a life, have we really taught the truth of God's Word? Look into the Word. How are you going to do that? I was thinking about this yesterday. I was talking, I don't know, maybe it's a Saturday prayer group that God gave me this idea. Years ago, I used to be a surveyor. I mean, if you didn't know that, I surveyed and I'd work for an engineer. And he'd give me a big old set of plans about that big around and I'd open them up and there's a sewer line, the water line, the property, all this stuff I had to do. And uh, I thought about it one time. I said, you know, how they, you know how, they, how they paid me? They paid me to take what was on those plans and put it on the ground. Right, that's what they paid me for. So I thought about one time, what if an engineer called me and said, said Bruce, how'd you do today? He said, well, I thought about it. I, I, I looked at the plans a lot. I unrolled them. I looked at the various pages. A beautiful set of plans, by the way. Very clear, very concise. They said, I thought about it. I contemplated about it. I thought about how beautiful it would be if somebody would do this. You know what he would do? He'd fire me the next day. He said, why? Because he wants somebody that could take his plans and implement them on the ground. Listen, God gave us this word so that we can study it, study it, not think about it, not, not contemplate it, think, study it so we can do what? Go out and put it into practice. Remember what it says. When you die and you go to heaven, what does it say? Well thought of, well thought of. Well contemplated. He goes, no, well done, my good and faithful servant. God's word is not to be contemplated. God's word is not to be meditated on. God's word is to be practiced and put in play. That was another one that was free. I don't know where that came from. Why do we do that? Because if we study God's Word intently, you know what? We're beginning to become transformed in the image of Christ. He begins to transform us more and more to look like Jesus. These are the things the angels longed to look into. This is what they wanted to know. We do not share salvation. They did not share salvation, but they studied it. They do not receive salvation, but they rejoice when people receive salvation. It's so amazing, this salvation, that the angels ponder it. They ponder it. Do you ever ponder God's amazing salvation in your own life? I mean, do you really ever stop and think about this amazing salvation that God has given to you? That Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, that just blows my mind right there. Died for you. 
And he did it willingly. Willingly. And he died for you. So that you might have life eternal. So that he could be with you forever and ever and ever. You ever ponder what he did for you? The pain, the suffering, the immense humility of it all. The immense humility of it all. We should never treat God's salvation lightly. It requires our greatest efforts in studying it. It requires our greatest efforts in sharing it. Have you experienced God's amazing salvation? You might ask, well, preacher, what is it? What exactly is God's amazing salvation? Paul tells us, I think this is the gospel in the nutshell. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. That's the Gospel. That is the Gospel. Jesus Christ was crucified according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And if he did those two things according to Scripture, guess what? <laughs> He's going to come again according to Scriptures. And when he comes, you know who's going to go with him? All those who have made a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. And we get to spend eternity with him. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, guess where you're going to spend eternity? You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Either in heaven or in a very hot place that you're not going to like. And I'm not talking about Arizona. I'm talking about a place where there's burning of your flesh and it cannot be stopped. And all you do is gnash at your teeth and cry out in agony, Somebody save me! And there'll be nobody to hear your cries. Why? Because you had your chance and you turned it down. That's the message we proclaim. That's the message that was predicted. That's the message we proclaim. And that's the message that we ponder. In a moment, we're going to give you a chance to respond to what you've heard. Do you know Jesus, Lord, and Savior of life? Today might be the day. That God has brought you here for that particular reason so that you can be saved. I don't know what's holding you back. Except maybe pride. Your own sense of moral worth. Whatever it is. Have God rid you of that so that you can humbly come before Him. Kip's going to come and lead us in a song. Marilyn's going to come and play. We're going to ask that you... Stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer. Marcy, Josh are going to come forward. We'll just be here just in case you want to come and talk. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. We'll be here for you. Whatever decision God is leading you to make, maybe, it's a, maybe you want to receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Maybe we could even be bolder. Maybe there's somebody in your family, a co-worker, that you'd like to see 
come to Jesus. Maybe you want to pray for them. You can do that up here. You can do it right there where you're at. Whatever decision God is leading you to make, we want to invite you to come as I pray. Father God, we come before you. Thank you for this day that you allow us, Father, to, to look at your amazing salvation. God, it is amazing. It is amazing. Speak to our hearts this morning, Father. During this time, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.